Welcome to the Accelerate Podcast, a podcast for high-performing current and aspiring female founders and CEOs across Africa, and for those who also have a passion for Africa. This is the place to learn about the critical success factors and best practices of some of the most amazing high-performing female founders and CEOs as we help you grow to be the best version of you, achieve time and financial freedom whilst living a significant life. Thanks for tuning in to listen. I'm your host, Nekamubi. Let's dive in. Welcome to another edition of Accelerate Podcast. And I'm really glad to have Natalie Bitachure with me. And you're going to know when we get into it, why this is really going to be a great interview. I'm really, why I'm really excited to have her as a guest today. I'll go straight into her profile and then we'll get right in. So Natalie Bitaturi is currently the Chief of Staff at the Simba Group, an East African group of companies spanning hospitality, energy, telecom, real estate, and a foundation. In this capacity, Natalie oversees operations, impacts, and partnership across these sectors within Uganda. Natalie is also the founder of Musana Carts, a social enterprise building solar-powered street food vending carts and HER, an online mentorship platform with over 3,000 young African women. She has been recognized by Forbes 30 Under 30, the World Bank, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and World Economic Forum as a business leader and innovator. She's also a speaker and advocating for youth and women's empowerment, passionate about learning. She has executive certification from the Harvard Kennedy School, a master's in social entrepreneurship with a specialization in project management from Holt University in San Francisco, and received her undergrad degree and honorary doctorate in business and innovation from Keele University in the UK. She incidentally is my youngest guest on Accelerate Podcast. So that's also one area and she comes with a wealth of wisdom and really excited and first from Uganda as well. Natalie is also a board member for the Queen Abenakio Foundation Startup Hub, Capital Solutions Social Innovation Fund, Save the Children, Africa Advisory Board, and their Women's Network. Natalie, welcome to Accelerate Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, the last we spoke, I was in Nairobi and you were in Kampala. Now I'm in Atlanta and you are in London. So <laughs> wow, wow, wow. But excellent. Um, let's get into this. Um, really, you've done so much, right, in such a short time. I mean, you're early 30s and it's like, wow. So let's start with you first. And then we're kind of going to go back into why you're involved in all this. So what informed your decision to get into social entrepreneurship? So I come from a business family. My parents are both entrepreneurs, so I grew up around business from the time I was a child. Different businesses and different areas, whether it was construction sites or boardrooms, it's something I was used to. So it's something I always anticipated working in. However, one summer when I was still in law school, I think I was 19, on a whim, my dad sort of dared me to go and work in a rural community that he sat on a board of a school in this rural area and 
I just wanted to do something different. I didn't want to come back and work in the company again another summer and the same thing. He said, fine, go work in a rural place. And he didn't think I'd do it, but I went and it was an amazing experience. It completely changed my life and my perspective about life. I was teaching 13 to 14 year old girls, grammar and literature that summer. It was still term time in Uganda and just spending time with them and understanding their thought process and their aspirations, their dreams, their challenges. It showed me how much growing up in a business family had changed my perspective. I feel like I'm very solution oriented. I don't look to other people to solve my problems. And fundamentally, that was the big difference between me and these girls. I am from that same village. So the only difference is whose family we were born to. And because I was born to entrepreneurs, the way I see the world was completely different. So I thought I need to do more. I need to use what my family has given me to do more so that other girls from villages like mine also have this mindset. They also know they can be empowered. They can take control of their own lives by using business as a tool to positively impact their life, their community's life. Instead of waiting to be married, or waiting for someone else to decide for you what you should be doing with your life. That lack of agency struck me more. So I started to look into different types of business because I did a lot of charity work, especially for that school. I did some fundraising. I went to all my parents' friends, bought some computers, built a classroom block, but it wasn't enough. Every holiday when I would come back and visit, this hadn't changed. They would wait for me to come and change something for them. It wasn't enough to just build a classroom. I felt like what needed to change was the way they were thinking. More like their mindset, right? Given the fire said the way they were thinking. So you were able to help change that. Okay, and so from education in social entrepreneurship, what's changed beyond, given that you've had the practical experience of entrepreneurship in your learning, what would you say you learned? What was the one thing as opposed to just entrepreneurship, now social? way that social entrepreneurship crosses over it fits across it's not charity and it's not business it is a wonderful mix because you're having a positive impact on your community on your employees on your customers on the environment you're not just doing business as usual but also you're making money as you do so you're not dancing to the tune of that organically in the way that is best for your company for your community you're making money. You can pay your own salaries. You have a difference in people's lives when they pay for something rather than when it's given to them. Right. There's more ownership. More ownership. And I agree. More, and, yeah, I believe that's in. actually what we need more in Africa, right? More social entrepreneurs. Exactly. Because we're trying to make a positive impact, but we need to do it on our own terms. Okay. So how do you balance um, between fulfilling your own personal dreams and those of your parents? Simba Group is very well known in Uganda and East Africa. And, you know, you are the chief of staff there, working multiple businesses and all that. You also have your own personal desires and dreams. How do you balance that? <laughs> it's funny you ask me that now. If you'd asked me that four years ago, I wouldn't be able to answer this question. It took me a long time to realize my desires and dreams are separate from my parents. I hadn't noticed in my 20s. I thought it was all one and the same. So I was working very hard for them to make them happy, but also because I thought what makes them happy is what makes me happy. And for a while it worked. It's only when I turned 30 that I thought, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? If my life doesn't change now, am I going to be happy with this forever? And I realized there were still some gaps and some things I needed to do for me, not just for them. Lucky for me, I've had quite a good career. So my parents have enough 
awards and moments that they can say, yes, Natalie did this for us. So they should not be asking too much more for me in terms of their dreams. I think I've ticked a lot of the boxes for them. So I have more space and more free time now. I make more time to do projects that I want, like her. That was something that I started all by myself. It kind of just happened organically. And it's where my passion lies. I really love supporting women and helping other women to move forward in their lives and to have sort of more opportunities and more agency in what they do. So I had to be very intentional that I don't lose or slip back with my work in the company, but I also have more time to spend on projects like Musana, like her, like different projects. I had a company called Enagro that I started and sold. I like to make sure that I have enough time to do all the projects I want to do as well. Given you are the eldest and in the African culture, right, much is expected as (laughs) the daughter. As a second generation entrepreneur working with your parents, what has been your experience, right? The good and the challenges. That's the first arm of the question. And the second is, what would you advise those parents who would like their children to join them in their businesses, you know, family business, because you are the second generation taking it beyond them? The thing is, no one prepares you for it. Relationship with your parents is you're the child, they're the parent. And then when you have to move that relationship into a professional setting, you kind of have to change your dynamic. And I feel like there's nothing that can prepare you for that in life because you don't learn it in school or at business school or in the workplace because it's different. I think because I've now worked with them for a long time, we now have a good dynamic where we can respect each other professionally. We can discuss things. We can have challenges and disagreements. But also it's important to have boundaries and to know each other and know your limits of what's important to each other shouldn't do with each other. Because of multiple businesses, it doesn't help. Our I think that's a principle that the same for any business the c-suite is not in agreement the company can't work so you have to think about how to think of your roles professionally and the advice i would give is mixing two different generations it's a problem but it's also a good thing i think a lot of times when children come into family businesses we push the technology angle we want to drive new growth we're looking at new ideas and things but you also have to know when it's time to listen and know what worked best and why the company is where it is I think on both sides, you need to come in with humility and enthusiasm, but it's a wonderful balance because you need to know when to listen to each other and when to accept this is how it is. A lot of times I used to clash with my parents because they wouldn't want to change anything. And I'm like, but these days, this is how the world is. And they would say, but this is how the company got here. So you have to know when, who is right in which situations, because they need to come into the future and like be more modern. But you also need to understand the culture and the ethics and the vision of the company that got it to this position. So it's a delicate balance, but it's also a very different adjustment, I think, for African parents to see their children as adults. I think in our culture where young people are not respected, it's always elders are better. It's very difficult for parents to see their children as respectable adults who they need to listen to in the workplace. And that's something my parents also had to work hard on to understand and to learn very very challenging for parents so I think you both have to learn the role to play but I also wouldn't encourage parents to force a child into a family business motivation and drive because if someone doesn't want to be there you're doing a disservice to your company and at the end of the day your company has dependents there's staff there's customers there's suppliers you're part of an ecosystem and that ecosystem deserves someone who wants to be there leading the company and pushing things forward So I think it's nice to give a child the option, let them taste it, let them see what it's like, but don't 
close all other avenues off to them. I have four siblings. One is still in school and one chose not to. And that's okay. So you have to find balance and see what works because you also have to maintain good family dynamics. It's also, I think the first few years, every time I see wherever we are, because we were now used to being each other's coach. So you have to see how to maintain the balance of family and professionalism. Like everything else in life, it's a delicate balance. Absolutely, you're correct. And that is a delicate balance. And I like the fact that you brought in the African perspective and respect, right? And handling that. So that's even more delicate. And then also the point of they are successful because they did some things right in the past, right? Yes, you, you know, a child will come in with their new ideas and all that. So the place of listening and humility on both ends is um, it's important. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. So now co-founder being the founder of Musana Cats. Tell us about it in terms of what that is and as well as how. Um, so Musana Cart is a solar street vending company. So we work with street food vendors and we build purpose bridge and sometimes a phone charger. That's what they want. And each cart is different depending on the food that they cook, whether it needs a grill or a stove or rotisserie. So we have like chapati with an omelet and rolled up like a burrito with some salad in it. We also have chicken vendors, fish vendors, different things. And what we do at Musana, we provide the and sanitation and in marketing and customer service. That's a company I started while I was doing my master's. As a team, we started it as a for a student competition and it actually grew into a real life company. And it's still working and growing and it's it's been a really interesting project for me her is an online mentorship platform for african women that supports them in their videos articles blogs podcasts and also online courses that women can take to learn more and to empower themselves so that they have the knowledge to grow in these areas but also the community where we can discuss things and speak to each other okay so being online is that just just cover uganda or beyond that Oh, it's beyond Uganda. We have about 40 countries that women are in. The majority, of course, are Ugandan, but also we have a lot of African women around the world who are part of the group. I think there's not specialized African content for women in the Western content. It's not really localized in the examples and the challenges. There's some things that it's just easier if you had someone you know, someone who's relatable to ask these things and a place that might be convenient for them to give them the knowledge and the, anything I have learned that has helped me in my career, I'm happy to share. Okay, so the website address, so we could circulate that for those who are interested to um, learn more about that, about her, given that it's now an online mentoring uh, platform uh, to others. Um, so what's, what's the Perfect. website address? It's actually my personal website, so nataliebeteture.com. Okay, so we'll put that in, and then if you're interested in learning more about that, you know, check her website, and you'll get more information about her. Musana Katz, let's get back to that. What are your goals for that longer term? Because it's such a worthy initiative, right? I believe that, as you said, a competition during your social entrepreneurship, getting your, your master's in that. What are the long-term plans for Musana? we started Musana, we did so much research about street food vending in Africa. And what I found interesting is, firstly, street food vending is illegal in most African countries. And yet, this is the livelihood of millions of people. So, firstly, I really would like Musana to show governments that 
street food vendors, our workers, these are fathers, their mothers, they're people who want to work with dignity. They deserve the money that they're making. They're providing a service to their communities. So it's a lot about changing the narrative around street food vending in Africa and also empowering vendors because it's such an informal job. You don't have support. Vendors don't have um, training. They don't get associations or unions or bonuses or pay rises or things like that. Once you move into the informal economy, African workers, 80% of people are working in the informal economy. It's not regulated. It's not safe. The worst, the illegality. A lot of our vendors get arrested. They get their stores seized. They've never had support in the whole city. So with Musana, we open source all our information. So if anyone wants the designs for a cart in a different country, we are happy to send it to them. Empower the vendors in your cities. Share this, build this, do this. I think the more vendors that can sort of upgrade their working conditions and situations, you see a difference in the pride they take in their jobs. They get to own an asset. They get to feel like they're going to work every morning in something that they can be proud of and can show their friends and family. And they make more money also. Just because of the way a Musana card looks, they attract more customers. And from the training that they have, they retain more customers. So it's a really great initiative, I feel because it's impact first. It's a good example of a social business. We're making an impact in the community, in the clients we work with. And also because it's solar, we are providing them with electricity in a clean way. They're learning something new and they're having access to refrigeration, which is something they wouldn't have had access to otherwise. So, um, so given that, I mean, even in Nigeria, you know, street vending is, is actually illegal, but that's where most people get the, a lot of um, informal workers get their livelihood. And that's why even though it's banned, they still come back, right? Because they can't afford shops. And so were you, did you deal with the government? How would you formalize it or legalize that? How did that change? So what we wanted to do is to showcase to the government, vendors are not criminals. Let us take you behind the scenes to see and understand what they're trying to do. And also, we had to see what the government's perspective is. Why is vending illegal? Tell us, let us help you solve this problem. Because African governments have so much pressure. They have so many problems, minimal resources, and fast-growing populations. So we try to put ourselves in the shoes of both sides and sort of be a bridge to help the government and the vendors to speak to each other. So we worked very closely with our local city council and also with some street vendors when we were prototyping Musana. And so... We got permission from the government to have Musana carts as legal carts. They're legal vendors, our vendors now, because we ticked the boxes for the government. We worked with the health and sanitation department. So they gave us a checklist. All our vendors have to have certain medical checks. They teach them about washing their hands. You need to have access to a national water site within 100 meters. You need to be within 100 meters of a garbage disposal area. So there are certain regulations that they have that make sense then things like our vendors have to be registered for security, like which vendor works on which street. Because of terrorism in Africa and in Uganda, we have to know which vendor is working where. We can't have different people. So we took the steps that made the government more comfortable to understand and see this can work. If we put in the effort to go through these things for the training and registration, it's worth it to them. We provide them with that information. And then for the vendors, we make sure that they have sales and marketing experience. We make sure that they're wearing t-shirts and their carts are branded well and they're going to make more money. So for them, it's worth going through this hustle because one, you won't get arrested and nothing will be taken. And two, you'll make more money. 
So we had to see how to make it a win-win situation for both sides. Yeah, actually more than that, plus the government, right? So, and this is really social, a social impact business, right? So there is, it's, a, it's profitable. There is the impact in terms of kind of formalizing the informal sector, right? And then also um, the bride in terms of the education that um, the informal workers who likely are semi-literate um, have access to and being a part of a wider network. Yeah, exactly. What are plans for more of that and how do you plan to see that grow or expand? So what we've realized now is we are growing much faster with B2B instead of B2C. So we used to sell to individual vendors, but now we are also partnering with organizations that want to buy cards for vendors at a bigger scale. We worked with MasterCard Foundation last year to work with a model farm where the model farm was training students in different types of poultry, piggery, different kinds of meat farming. And because they're trying to help, this is part of MasterCard's Young Africa Works program that's all over Africa. They're trying to grow how many jobs with dignity in each country. So what they're doing is they're encouraging young people to have farm to farm animals and to make a value chain out of there. So also to slaughter the animals and to sell them cooked because you'll make more money that way. And that way you create a lot of jobs along the whole supply chain and they're doing it all over the country. So what they do is they buy carts from us in batches and then we train the young people and they go back to their districts with a cart and with the empowered knowledge about how to run the farm. So when they get back, they train their peers in the rural communities, fellow youth. So some people are running the farm, some people are running the cart and to have a system like that. Another partner we have now is UNDP. They're also buying carts on scale. We also work with different kinds of organizations because there's so much street food and there's so many options with sausage vendors, with fish vendors. The fish one, it's a fish company. So what they do, they subsidize the cost of the cart for the vendor. They help them to pay the deposit and then the vendor has to buy fish from them. That's the condition. So there's lots of different ways it can work so that it's affordable for the vendors. It, they're incentivized to do it. And this is how the company will grow faster. Because I think the more carts that are out there, the more copycats we also get, which is something I love to have because <laughs> there's so many vendors. I will never run out of customers. I'm not worried about competition. If you want to copy the cart, go for it. Do it. The more vendors that are doing this in a safe and upgraded and legal way, the better for everyone. Okay, so let's go back to the thought process beyond starting that because obviously that was a need um, and making it for profit how do you I know you said you had done some research how much time did that involve that's one question and then the second did you reach out to like the MasterCard Foundation UNDP to essentially scale did you have that in mind at the beginning um no we didn't like I said we started it as a student competition so we did a lot of research um, it's something I really encourage all entrepreneurs whenever I'm teaching. Research is such an important part of the work. You really need to understand the market you're entering, understand your customers, understand the supply chain, understand all the stakeholders. So that really gave us an advantage because even now I still rely on a lot of the research I did five, six years ago. A lot of reports I read, a lot of experts I spoke to, a lot of the vendors, like their own feedback. So research helps a lot. And we didn't have to reach out to any of these companies because the other thing that's very helpful is visibility. When we start rounds of start a company and yet it's a hardware company, so you need capital. And so that process of crowdfunding forced us to learn about online marketing and getting yourself out there. And I learned a lot then that even helps me now in my career. A lot of opportunities 
find me. I don't have to go seeking them because I'm visible. So with Musana, we try to keep up on our social media. We keep up with how we're sharing our information with different people and different stakeholders so that when they have a need for something like this, they immediately think, oh, let's call Musana. Okay, so let's talk on a macro level in terms of female entrepreneurship and leadership in Uganda and East Africa, and I guess in the wider, but I'd give it, we start with Uganda. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And I say, and just tell me, tell us what you think and what your thoughts are around um, growth, um, inspiring other female entrepreneurs to get in and then um, really the challenges that one should be aware of. Oh, this is a big topic. Yeah. Because <laughs> we are fighting our culture. I feel the problem women have in Africa, it's more all over the world women are fighting because of the patriarchy and the system that we all live in. But in Africa, we have an added layer of culture that is holding us back. We can't even catch up with women in the West or the East because we have our culture that's holding us back. And people still think it's wrong for women to be working and for women to be empowered and for women to make their own decisions. And that's what bugs me. And that's what I, I spend my life fighting. I can understand because there was a point in the world where they thought black people were not as smart as white people. And people really believed that was just the fact. And now at least we've reached the point where everyone knows black people are just as smart. We can do everything white people can do, but we're still trying to fight that fight for women. Men still fundamentally believe women are weaker. Women are dumber. We can women can't be trusted to make decisions. Women are emotional. And that is what we're trying to fight because we can run companies. We can make decisions. We can do all these things. We just need the opportunity. We just need the support, the guidance, the training that men get just by being a man. And it starts when you're so young, the way we start to segregate children and separate them and change the way they think about themselves, telling little girls that they should be a certain way and telling little boys that they have to be a certain way. So I feel like it's such a big fight once you're dealing with someone who's 18 and above, but you have to start somewhere. And that's the age when someone can make a decision and they can choose what they want to learn. So I like to be a resource for those who are willing and ready and want to learn and want to grow. If all you need is some information, some knowledge, some support, someone to encourage you, someone to ask questions, I am happy to be that person for women in Africa. Because I think much potential. You won't know who has the next solution, the next innovation, someone who is going to change lives. You have to let women live up to their fullest potential in whatever field that may be. Some women are excellent at cooking and cleaning, and that's where their heart lies. But I'm, I'm happy to support them. I just think it should be a choice. We should not be forced to be one thing thing put us in, in this day and age right right it's obvious you're very passionate about female entrepreneurship and leadership any interest in politics and governance um <laughs> i think in africa especially government is so involved with everything that you do but in my experience it's a very frustrating process i can understand how difficult it must be to work in government and all their challenges and all their limitations and problems that they have too but as a business person it's incredibly frustrating i wouldn't personally go into politics because i think it's very difficult to make a change as one person in a system like that that is so old and it's so rigid i think unless change is going to be dynamic and it's going to be broad and there's enough buy-in from the change like the decision makers it doesn't make sense i feel like i can make more of an impact as a private citizen who's working in business and can do things as long as it's within the law. Right. Once you have the platforms, you know, with 
several thousands of women already, right, and growing. And so if you're able to change mindset and then reach some kind of critical mass, right, you, you're as effective. So I guess it doesn't stop you from effecting change. So to, and that's what I'm hearing you say, right? Exactly. I feel like you have to do what you can with what resources you have. So as a non-government person, what I can do is in the private sector. And so I'm happy to continue to do that. Okay, so some would say that you are successful because of your privileged background and the family you were born into. And that's why you're doing all that you're doing at such a young age. What would you tell a young lady your age or younger who wants to start her business and doesn't have the kind of background that you have? I do get that a lot. I think having privilege is an advantage for sure. It just means you started the race a few steps ahead of other people. But you still have to run the race. That's the truth. There are a lot of people who have privilege and they've never started the race. They're just sitting there where they were born, you know? And yet people who, like my father, started from so far behind with no advantage, have managed to run and push and get ahead. So I think it's not about the privilege you start with. Everyone has advantages and disadvantages. You have to start where you are, accept this is where I'm starting from. Now, how do I move forward? It's always about taking the next step forward. It doesn't matter where you start because some people will start, some will stop, some will never start. As long as you keep moving forward, you will get there. You will progress. So how I encourage younger girls is start, just start. Don't wait for the perfect moment, for the right amount of capital, for the best opportunity. The sooner you start moving, the sooner you get moving. As women, we like to sit there and plan and think and stress. I'm not sure. I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. I don't have these qualifications. Should I? Shouldn't I? Yeah, you can think yourself in circles. Just jump out there and get going. You will learn as you go and you will grow as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other, metaphorically, like just get out there and start moving. Because the truth is, if you don't start, you'll never go anywhere. That's, I can assure you. If you think that you're not ready now, you will never feel ready. And if you don't start, you will for sure be where you you are in the next year or in the next five years. So at least start and get moving and try. And the good thing is these days, there's more examples. There's more mentors. There's other women you can ask and say, how did you do this? And what do I do about this? And we're happy to share that information and that knowledge and that support. Because it will help you as it helped us. Absolutely. And so final thoughts. How do you learn? How do you strive? I am lucky. I am a curious person. So I am always learning. I like to learn. <laughs> um, so I, I'm intentional about it because I'm a busy person. So I have to make it in my books downloaded on my iPad. So if I'm stuck in traffic, if I'm late, if I'm early, if I'm waiting, if I'm on a plane, I'm always trying to learn. If I'm at home, there's YouTube playing in the background. Every few months, I'll do an online course. So I'll go to, I do a lot of online webinars now. That's one of the silver linings of COVID. I don't have to fly around or go for conferences. I really love learning. And it's something that's important to me because the world is evolving. The world is changing. There's so much information out there. There's always something interesting you can learn about your fields that you work in or about something that you're interested in. Exactly. And as you said now, you know, with COVID, um, yeah, we have the issues, but like there's no excuse, right? Because you can get so many, you just have to have data right exactly. and, then, and then get that just having internet yes absolutely all right well i think we have taken um, more than i had planned to this has been a very interesting conversation any final thoughts it's been so interesting to speak to you these are very insightful questions so thank you for having me i am very happy to be a resource please do share my information women can send me 
an inbox on my social media or an email. I'm always happy to listen, to learn, and also to share. So if anyone has any questions, I'm very happy to support you in your entrepreneurship or career development journey. Excellent. Well, thank you, Natalie. We've heard from you and also what she's willing to do. Thanks for that, for your willingness to share the information that you have. Her details will be in the show notes as well. And and this is the purpose of podcast, having um, guests like Natalie. And it's a, we're going down transgenerational, right? Started with the 50s, the 40s, now 30s, and then up to the 60s as well. And um, there's a common theme, I'm sure, if you've listened to all of them. And we've been really willing to share um, their stories, inspire others. Um, I like what Natalie said, you know, just get started and, you know, you learn from there. So thanks again for being a part of this, for listening. Share this with your friends and let us know um, what else you'd like to learn about as we move into the new year. Just resources that you need to get started. Thanks again. Endeavor to, to live a successful life but more importantly, make it a significant one. Until then, take care. Bye. This concludes this episode of Accelerate. All the information links will be down in the show notes. If you have not done so already, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player of choice on Apple. This will make sure you don't miss any of the amazing content we have lined up and rolling out for you love this episode it will mean a lot if you would leave a five-star rating and a written review on apple podcast finally if you haven't connected with me over on instagram and you're interested in learning more about similar episodes and all that's happening before they even get announced publicly let's make sure to connect over there at accelerate or nekamubi on instagram but with all that said i appreciate you being here I look forward to connecting with you over on Instagram. And until I see you in the next episode, endeavor to grow, profit, and make an impact.